How do I stay out of shame when my partner needs me to just listen? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. question that uh that we get all the time right i wish so, there was a magic pill just for this one question yeah but but i think we do have a lot of insight and answers to it tyler so i think um i think this will be good hopefully we can actually break it down where there is a process to it so um anyways how have you been tyler i've been great man what's going on in your world Oh, you know, just uh, eating good food and living the dream. So, <laughs> all I did all weekend was cook. So, what, what were you doing all weekend? Oh, we had this breakfast casserole and cinnamon rolls, and we were just hanging out at home just oh, with gotcha. the family. The weekend, and, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just good, good times. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I gotta, t- I gotta tell you, man, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you right now. For anyone who wants to see Brandon's like new look, you guys need to go to Spotify and watch us on Spotify. But your, your hair is becoming quite the, uh, it's quite the project you've got going there. <laughs> you just called my hair the project. <laughs> well, it reminds, it reminds <laughs> me. Of, I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> it, it somewhat, it somewhat reminds me of when we were in high school, you decided to grow yourself, you grow your hair into a full grown mullet. And it looks like you're just about there. <laughs> hey, that was back when mullets weren't cool. <laughs> They've always been cool, Brandon. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, my wife's calling me Fabio. So <laughs> well, I'm just going to keep it. It looks good. It. It's got a lot of body and a lot of curl to it, man. You look great. Yeah. Someone said to me, like, why don't you cut it? And I said, when you had got hair like mine, why would you cut it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. So, yeah. Anyways, okay, let's get back on topic here. All right. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to have you. Um, if you could just give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background, and uh, just ask away. Yeah, so um, I, I guess I, I've, been, I've been trying to heal from uh, a long-time addiction um, uh, to pornography use. And, and it's been, I, I guess I, I started on my, my journey to recovery in a long time ago, 2008. Um, I had recently been divorced, uh, from a very short marriage and then remarried about a year. Yeah. It was about a year later to my current wife. And I I've gone through the ups and downs of recovery, um, long, long sobriety and then long, uh, long relapses, I guess. Um, and, and of course through all this, probably for the last decade, I really didn't understand the difference between shame and guilt. Um, and this past, the past couple of years, uh, I kind of, I, I, I backslid a lot and harder and farther than I had ever previously, um, to the point where I was, uh, seeking, uh, to, uh, I had attempted an extramarital affair. Um, and as, as 
wonderful as my wife is, I don't know why she puts up with me. We're still married through all this, um, going through the, this process for us both to heal. Uh, but due to how long this has been an issue and how many times it's been, it's, it's come up and cropped up and, um, she's experienced betrayal trauma pretty hard. And, mm-hmm. and there will be times where I won't even really do anything that I think is wrong, but it'll trigger her. And then when she brings it up and talks to me, I will, uh, it, it, it's hard for me to, to stay out of a, a shame spiral. Is that what we call it? The shame spiral mm-hmm. where I just am, am telling myself that I'm, I'm a horrible human being for this kind of stuff. So, Dave, when that, when that happens, like when your wife brings it up and you find yourself hearing whatever she says being interpreted into you're a horrible human being, what does that end up doing in terms of your reaction back? Like what's your typical response back to your wife? I usually, um, I usually shut down. Like I, I won't talk, I'll get real quiet. Um, and, and she'll ask me if I'm okay. She'll ask me what's going on. I'll, I won't, I won't say anything. I'll just, I'll keep to myself. Uh, I try to work through it without talking to her or anybody else. And so that's typically my response. So when you say you shut down, you, she, she comes to you with something that she wants to talk about and she never gets a response back from you because you kind of implode, you go into yourself and kind of pull away, disappear. And then she feels like she's got to caretake you. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. So, uh, sometimes she'll, she'll pry and prod to ask what's really going on. And, and eventually I cave and, and actually talk to her. But yeah, for the most part, it's, I, I've, I've broken this woman and I can't do anything to help her. So why try? So when, so just to clarify, so when she's triggered, um, and and it, it might be about something real that happened, it might not be. But when she's triggered, how this ends up is that she's kind of coming to you and and trying to make sure you're okay. Well, she'll come to me with her concerns, and she right. says she expresses her concerns, and I try to acknowledge it, but it's very short, canned responses. If that if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So and then you shame you shame trigger. I shame trigger. And then, and then she, the, she comes back and tries to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can see how for her, um, there's, there's no space for processing, um, her, her emotions and her triggers and her pain. Um, and, and she probably, and this is just my guess, she probably feels pretty, I'm hopeless and uh, alone with, with those things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And not only, not only does she feel alone with how I respond to her, but she seems to feel alone in that she doesn't, she doesn't really have much support outside of mm. our relationship to, to talk to somebody. Cause there are a few people know that maybe now more than did prior, mm-hmm. but there are very few people that know what really has has transpired between us. Mm-hmm. So she's in the spot of needing to protect you, wanting support. When she goes to you for support, she ends up needing to support. And then she feels 
like she's never gotten able gotten anyone there to just hear her story and then you walk away feeling worse about yourself because you know what you needed to do is just show up and listen to her right yes okay yeah so so a couple of questions here a couple of of thoughts first one is this is that i imagine when she brings you something it's not packaged up this way but what would happen if any time she brought it to you whether it was through anger or through sadness or through whatever, any other way it gets packaged up, she came to you and she just said, you're the person that I want to rely on. You're the person that I need to listen to me. Can you give me a few minutes of your time and just show me that you're listening? Would you be able to do that? Yeah, I think I could do that. Okay. Um, and and there are some times that she does bring it up that way. Um, often, not, often it's not like that, but <laughs> sure. if I, I, I think if I can put myself in that headspace before like whenever she brings something up, whether she does package it that way or not, I think um, that's, I guess that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's something that I need to do for me. Right. So that I can be there for her um, without expecting her to articulate it that way. Right. It's almost like, it's almost like if you could learn the foreign language of however it's packaged up, whether it's, Hey, you're a dirt bag or a man, I'm devastated or wow. I heard this song on the radio and it made me feel this way or that way. All of it just meant, Oh, it's this one of those hard moments. And I just need you to listen to me. If you could under, if you had that new language to speak, you would be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you know why you don't, there's reason why there's a, there's a lens that, that you're looking through. So she comes to you with her pain. She's triggered. She's, you know, about something. And, and let's say she says, Dave, you're a horrible person. Or she says, Dave, I'd really like you for, for you to listen. She says one or the two, whatever. There's a lens that you're looking through. And her pain represents something to you. What does it represent? It, to me, it represents what I've done wrong that I've mm -hmm. done something wrong. So I, I right. kind of put it on me, I guess. Yep. And you've interpreted that. So the, the addiction, what, how long, how long has the addiction been there? Um, I guess first exposure was, was probably eight or nine, but really it seated itself in my early teens. Okay. So you've been acting out for a long time. Um, got married and then pers pursued an affair. Um, when all of these little messages of the acting out and lying about it and not letting people see it and hiding it and living in secrecy, um, pursuing this affair, what, what has that told you about you? The reality or what I think of myself? <laughs> what you think. <laughs> So, so yes. through it all, I, it, I get this feeling, especially when I'm deep in a shame spiral, I, I get this feeling that, that there's no redemption. There's no hope mm -hmm. to actually heal and get over this. Right? And then I think that when my wife does bring up her concerns, whether she says it, frames it well or not, I, I get back into that same thinking. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I like what you said there. No redemption. Like there's no hope. There's no, I, I am who I am. I'm this broken, um, horrible person who, who is not capable of 
of truly creating safety and love in my relationship. So here she comes with her pain. Hey, Dave, I'm in pain. And you're like, oh my gosh, underneath all of that, that's how you're seeing things and feeling, right? And so holding your your way away from actually stepping into and holding her pain because it's her pain is an an indictment of the very uh, the very thing that you think is true um and the the thing that you don't want anybody to see right yeah Tyler, I was, was going to say well Dave, Dave actually had a response but I think you're teasing out what was the real response was he said I I hate to be I hate when she brings me her pain because it means I'm the person who did these things to her but what you're teasing out Brandon is is that what does that mean if I did those things to her? It means that I'm irredeemable, I'm hopeless, I'm a failure, I'm weak, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough. And so every time she's coming with her pain, it's not like, oh yeah, I did those things, dang it. Like it's proof. And now she's exposing that proof that I'm, I, even, even in the way you introduced yourself today, Dave, you're like, I don't even know why she's still with me. You know, like, like, you know, and maybe, maybe there's some truth to that, but underneath that statement, there's a belief inside of you that's actually causing all the problems, which is, is that you honest, there's a piece of you that honestly believes that you're unlovable, that you don't deserve to be with somebody. And, And here she is, she's constantly trying to tell you, you are so that she can have what she wants. And that's, and that's, what's getting in the way. I want to, I want to, I'm wondering, Dave, like you've been doing the recovery work for, you said several years. How many years have you been doing recovery work? I started attending recovery meetings in 2008. 2008 is when you started. Okay. That's a long, that's a a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. And, and you said you've had periods of, of long-term sobriety and periods of relapse. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wonder how much emotional energy and how many hours you've put into being sober so that you can be a good person. Yeah. How do you put a number on that? Um, <laughs> I wonder how I can imagine how frustrating it must be to put in that time, that money, that work, that heart. So you, that you'll eventually be good enough. Yeah. And I guess what is, what's good enough, right? Like I that's keep asking the question. That question. That's the question. There's something wrong with the equation in, in your head, in your head, there's some type of a, some type of a promise that says, as soon as I'm sober for long enough, that will make me enough instead of knowing I am worthy of love. I am, I have the potential of being redeemable. I'm a work in progress and I fail sometimes and that's okay. And I'm going to put all my time and effort into becoming the best man I can be because I know that's who I am and how I need to manifest to the world. But, but it's the equation is backwards right now where it's performed so that you're good enough instead of know that the fact that you're here breathing and talking makes you a miracle and you get to go grow into your best self. Tyler, going along with what you're saying, I want to ask you, Dave, um, when did you first start like really rejecting yourself, like what, what life experiences and what feelings came when, when you started thinking I'm, I'm bad, I'm flawed, I'm disgusting, I'm wrong, I'm not okay. You know, 
that's a hard hard question to to answer. I I I think that a lot of and I, I don't want to place blame on my parents, but the way that I I think the generation that I was in was raised. It, it was there was a I want to say it was a shame based culture, um, meaning that I felt, and I don't know that that my parents really feel this way, but I felt that I had to do certain things to to be seen as as good enough to them. Like I had to mm-hmm. get the good grades, had to um, had to attend youth groups and and Boy Scouts, these kind of things, and mm-hmm. and when I didn't, so I and. and and I kind of am on one end of the spectrum of, of shame, I guess, is not overperforming, but underperforming. So my, my brother was on the other end of that spectrum. Like he was the Eagle Scout, the 4.0 student. I was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, when I actually started really internalizing that and, and, and rejecting myself, I, I was, it was probably... I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. There's so many things packed into that. Well, well, it's interesting. Shame culture. Now, now kind of throw in the mix um, of the sexual acting out. I imagine you didn't run straight to your parents and say, Hey guys, this is happening. Um, right. So, so here I am, here, here I am as Dave underperforming, not living up to what I should be. And then also being very sexual, you're a very sexual yeah. being, right? And so what it, that, I imagine that, that threw, threw fuel on the fire here a little bit with this self-rejection and shame culture. Can you speak to that a little bit? My, my, sexual, my sexuality? Is that where you're? Well, yeah, j- just like when you started acting out and hiding it and, but feeling like you're not living up to kind of these expectations that you have with your parents, what did that do to you? Um, well, I became a habit to hide other things that were, weren't to their expectation or what I thought their expectation of me was. Um, I think further back into my, my teenage years, like I, I had a, a magazine clipping that I kept in my underwear drawer that I would go to anytime I was bored or, or, or stressed or upset, I'd shut myself mm-hmm. in my room and, and be there alone for a while. Yeah. And when you'd act out with that, how would you feel about yourself like afterwards and shame? Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, what did that shame say? What did it, it say? I've done something were? wrong and I'm, I'm unworthy. Um, and I, and I can't tell anybody about it cause I'll get in trouble. Yeah. So, because if they really know me, they'll, they, reject, they'll me. reject exactly. Me, yeah. Right. And, and how many times did that happen? <laughs> More than I can count. Um, yeah. I, if I were to put a frequency on it in my early teenage years, it was almost daily. Yeah. So you can see how this lens is really getting created, yeah. right? Like if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If they really <laughs> knew me, they wouldn't love me. And so I'll numb out. Um, and feel good for a little while and then drive home this very sh- feeling of, of shame and this very identity that's causing me a lot of this, this yeah, harm. Yeah, right? that, that reinforced that. Yeah. So now here you are years later in a marriage and that is still present. That, that identity is still very 
very much running through the the veins of your marriage, so to speak. Right. And, and, and so your wife comes and says, I do know you and I'm hurt by you and what you do. And that part of you that says, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, this very part of me that I've been trying to hide my whole childhood and it's being exposed to some, I can't handle that. Right. So, so this whole conversation, Dave, why are we having this conversation? Because we got to look at what actually needs to be addressed here. Your question is, why can't I hold space for my wife? That that's the symptom that that's that when you look at this, it's like, of course you can't hold space for her because deep down there's this demon in there that is, is tearing your, your soul apart. Yeah. Right. So we need to deal with that demon in order for you to be able to hold space for your wife. Yes. Does that yeah, makes sense. And I would suspect that, that one of the reasons why your addiction has gotten stronger and grown more powerful, if you want to call it that, is, is actually because you've been looking for an answer to that demon, but you've been looking for it in ways that actually fuel more shame continually. So, you know, Dave, if we were to ask you, like, what, what was it that led you to pursue a, an affair? Was it just the sex? Yeah. And I, you know, I, I kind of, I think I remember you guys talking about something like that. I can't remember exactly how it was framed, but I, I kind of justified um, my own feelings. Right. Cause um, I felt, um, I don't know if rejected is a word, but I, I, I felt unfulfilled at some, with some aspect and, and I, I, I projected that onto my wife. Um, and so I, I sought this out to, to seek some kind of um, satisfaction, I guess, that I wasn't getting out of either my marriage or myself or, or work or what you used to, you used a key word here. I think that's an illustration that's really common is rejection. So it came out in the pursuit of this sexual relationship, but it wasn't really about the sex. It was about... It was about trying to fill the void of being rejected. And you happen to put that inside your wife that she was rejecting you. But in reality, it's been 15 years of personal rejection. And then there's this promise. There's this promise through this sexual response that, oh, as soon as this person says I'm good enough, or as soon as I can disappear into fantasy and go to the pornography or whatever, then, then I'll be good enough. And it feels just good enough to know that your brain wants to go back and get it and right until the aftermath. And in the aftermath, you realize it's this bottomless void, this pit that Brandon's talking about that, that never actually gets filled in those ways. Right. Yeah. 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 The the screaming out is, you know, what Tyler's really fleshing out is that you want to be wanted and desired. And so when your wife's rejecting you, it's like, well, I, I want to be wanted and desired. It's, um, and so intellectually, I, I know that she's not rejecting me. Like my, my brain knows, right. like I understand that she's not actually rejecting me. And my heart knows that she actually does love and support me. I mean, she has for the last 13 years. Um, and she's known about this addiction the whole time. Uh, we talked about it before we got married. Mm. Um, and so she she committed to to staying with me as long as I'm willing to try to recover. So so this 
I know she doesn't reject me. I know that in my mind and in my heart. But, but Dave, you, you said, as long as I'm willing to try to recover, and you've been at this for 14 years, and, and I think that you got to be cautious of, you know, you're, you're the, you say you're the underachiever, and, you know, you can swing the pendulum to, okay, now I'm going to be the guy who's sober. Now I'm going to be the guy who's, like, doing recovery perfectly and earning it and showing her that I'm good enough and that I'm lovable, and the problem is, is the demon inside is still running the show with that, yeah. right? Do, do you understand yes. what we're saying here? Yep. Um, and so to be willing to recover means to actually do the, the hard work of, of dealing with these false identities and actually, actually shifting inside of yourself the way that you feel and the way that you view yourself. So I could, you said earlier, like, I know intellectually this, like I could say to you intellectually, do you know that you're not just a horrible <laughs> yes. person? Yeah. Yeah. In your mind. Yeah. You know that, right? Yet you're showing up in your relationship. Like you are, you believe you are a horrible person. So in your heart and in your soul, that's how you feel. Right. So we, we could try to talk to you till we're blue in the face and talk your shame out of you and it won't happen. Right. Right. So the question is, is what needs to happen in order to flush this out and create those shifts and actually find real recovery? Um, <laughs> Tyler, you got the answer, right? <laughs> well, I, I think I, I think I have some, Give it to me. That's why I'm I here. think I have some principles that you've probably heard of before, but maybe haven't had the heart attached to them that aren't going to be the instant answers, but they'll be part of it. And then I also have another thought I want to come back to. Um, but Brandon was kind of getting at this, that you've been basically doing repetitions at least daily on how terrible you are for the last 15 years. And, and there's some power to be learned from this, that there's a real strong belief that's formed over the repetition of 15 years. So why wouldn't it be true that the repetition of something new couldn't have that same power over time? So if I were to actually start to subscribe to and repeat and practice through both my own thoughts, my own language, even my own behaviors, a new story, that could be just as true or truer than the one I've been living by for the last 15 years. It just needs repetition. It needs practice. And so you practice that through the principles of self-compassion. You practice it through your dailies. <clears throat> Most people think they do their dailies to, in order to be good enough to stay sober. That's not what your dailies are. Your dailies are they're an on-purpose pursuit of cultivating the right heart on a regular basis so that you can go and get in touch with that guy inside of you that actually rationally knows he's a good guy. You're going to connect your heart to that on a regular basis. And if go ahead. Tyler, Tyler I, I love, I love what you're saying. Absolutely love it. Um, because it's about inertia. It's about shifting that energy. But Tyler, I want to ask you, um, like, my, if, if I've been living with this demon or this shame for 15 years, it kind of mm. becomes my frenemy. Like in a lot of ways, I'm comfortable with it. 
Like I, I know it. It's, it's my role. It's who I am. It's, and so what you're saying, Tyler's great, but it's, it, it's not, no, as easy no, you're as right. You, in fact, this is one sound, of the other correct? things. There's two things I wanted to say based off of what you guys were talking about earlier. One of them is this, is that in some ways, Dave, I wonder if subconsciously you continuing to fail can show that you're continuing to try, which means your wife doesn't have to leave you. So, so maybe, so maybe there's some self sabotage. Well, slow down, Tyler. You just said something really interesting there. Break that down. Like she said, let me rephrase it, it. She told him, I'll stay with you as long as you're willing to work recovery. And if he's, if Dave, you've already said that you're, you're kind of, your default is to underperform, then it would make sense that I could hold on to my marriage if I were to be constantly being the schmuck that was always trying to get better. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> well, it's true. She'll never leave me now. I, I get to hold on to her the rest yeah. of my life because she's promised mm-hmm. she'll stay as long as I'm working. I get to play the role I'm of being the damaged, role. broken yep, one that I'm always to that has role. to be working on getting better. And if I start to get too good, well, that's that puts me in new territory. That's scary because Yikes. because now there's no guarantees my wife Yikes. stays anymore. Yeah, I, I completely changed who I am mm-hmm. at that point. That's what is I, I guess the way I would look at it is I'm I'm a whole new person. Why would she stay with me if I'm this completely new person? Um, yeah, and I, I guess that. The point that I want to get to in in my relationship is she needs healing, and I want to be there for her healing. Mm-hmm. And if if I have to be like, I guess what what does that look like for me? Right? Am I that new person? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that. Like the new the new person, and I'm going to package this up because you said this earlier, and Brandon kind of helped identify it. I my main reason why I pursued my addiction, the main reason why I pursued my the extramarital affair, was because I wanted to feel needed and desired. And every single time, every single time your wife comes to you and wants to talk about a trigger or talk about her pain, all she's really saying is I want you to be my person. You are needed and desired. And what Brandon's been getting at is, is the disconnect between what you're hearing, which is, oh, I'm terrible, and what she's saying, I want you to be my person. I need you. I desire you to be my person, is your belief that doesn't allow yourself to see that that's what she's asking for, right? So how do you do that? Well, I think part of it is practice. Part of it is recognizing that. Part of it is recognizing that that's exactly what happens. So so here's where I was going earlier is, is that the minute you feel your shame, the autopilot of shame shuts you down, right? But the truth is, is that you can start to use that. The minute you feel your shame, that gets to be the actual catalyst for new practice, Boom. There it is. I know my shame. I don't know how it feels inside of you, Dave. Like maybe you could describe it for me. What, what does your shame feel like in your body when you feel it? Um, well, I haven't really thought about it. Um, how does it feel? In physical, like, physical, like a physiological, your physiological response? response when you feel shame. Um, I, I literally hang mm-hmm. my head, right? Like I, my shoulders roll forward my head hangs. I, I slunk, slink into my chair or wherever I'm at. And I just 
just exist as a the blob that I okay, feel like. Perfect. So, so you're going to start to pay attention to that physiology because that'll probably be the thing that kicks off before you even recognize you're in shame. And I'm the same. My head hangs. My shoulders feel heavy. I feel a pit in my stomach. My chest kind of constricts and I feel everything want to close in almost like I'm imploding, right? The minute that you feel that, that's the, that's the new call to action. And, and then the new action is pretty much to act opposite to everything you've done in the past. Right. It's like, Oh, there it is. So now I actually need to hold my head up high. I need to make eye contact. I picture myself taking my shame and I put it right outside myself and I go, I'm going to get to you in a second. But right now this is about her. Like she's, she's invited me into this space. She's saying, I need you. Right. You get a chance to step in and practice that. And you're going to use your shame as the catalyst. It's going to be the new thing that goes, oh, practice. I'm going to practice. Here it comes again. Oh, look, I've had this a thousand times today. I get to practice for the thousandth time today. Right. With her, with her pain, this is, this is a beautiful thing that God set up. With her pain, Dave, comes massive opportunity um, for you as an individual for her as an individual and for your relationship. And without her pain, that opportunity wouldn't be there. So when, when we talk about Dave knowing that he's just a piece of crap that, you know, acts out and that's, you know, over and over and over again, that's what you've learned. Well, guess what? When she comes and she says, Hey, ouch, I'm hurting. You get a, a couple of really awesome healing things happen. You get to say, you know what? I'm going to practice hanging in here with you, even though I'm feeling like I'm a piece of crap. Like I'm going to, I'm going to believe that I'm not. I'm going to believe that I'm not so much so that I'm going to let you have your perspective and I'm going to validate you and I'm going to hold space and I'm not going to take it personally and I'm going to empathize with you. And let's say you do that, Dave, for her, now she's processing grief. All, all of these triggers, you're actually helping her desensitize some of these triggers and deal with the pain deep inside of her. And you're showing up as a supportive person for her. So this is good for her, right? But it's also doing something for the relationship. It's, it's helping her realize, oh my gosh, like I actually have a partner who's, a, who's an actual support and I feel safe with, right? But here's the deal. I make this all sound like it's so wonderful. It is if it works, right? <laughs> let's say it doesn't. Let's say, let's say she's in pain and she, she, comes, she comes with her pain and you try to hang in there with you, with her, and you feel like you just get bludgeoned. You just get, you know, just raked over the coals. Yeah, that's, that's for happened. sure. <laughs> that's how I've, I have felt like that for sure. All right. Yeah. All right, Dave, but this is what I want you to understand is there, there's opportunity in that. What's the opportunity in that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Okay. This is your own personal work. So at this point, this is where you can say, I like, I showed up as a warrior who wanted to create love with my wife in that moment. And you know what? She, she got mad and she told me all this stuff. I have opportunity now to realize that I'm still okay, even if she's feeling those things. 
I'm going to do my recovery work to stand tall, to be okay with myself and know that I did the best that I possibly could. And, and in that moment of failure, you, you don't look at it as failure. You look at it as I can do this. I can be strong regardless of which direction this goes, right? Because right now you don't know that and you don't believe that. Okay. But through these experiences with her and the pain, that's where you really have opportunity to, to, to realize that you're okay, no matter where that ends up with her. Does that, does yeah, that, yeah. Does that make guess, sense, uh, Dave? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the opportunity, like you said. Um, and it's, and I guess I've never really seen it that way until, to, until now. So I would call a buddy and say, Hey, I'm the, my shame's trying to come up and like, just tell me I'm awesome. Cause I just, I just for, for like 20 minutes, tried to empathize with I my tried. wife and I think I kind of sucked it up, but I just for 20 minutes tried to empathize with my wife and that recovery buddy's going to be like, heck yeah, Dave, good job. You're a good man. Rather than the, the, the voice of shame in there saying, look, there you go. The measuring again. stick it's of hopeless. success has to change from right. your wife always being happy to did you put your heart and soul into doing the right things? And if, if you put a hundred percent in that's, that's going to have to be success for the day and you're going to get better every day. And, and I might just offer kind of a, a recipe that you can practice if that's all right. It'll be a this will be a rinse and repeat yeah, kind of a thing that will happen over and over again. You're going to use your own physiology. You're going to recognize when the shame's there. You're going to remind yourself that you're becoming shame resilient. And this isn't about you. You're going to hold space for your wife, practice empathy. And at a certain point, it will break. Like some days she'll say, hey, stop the therapy crap that you're doing on me right now. Or like whatever else she's going to say. And and that's okay. She's in she's hurting and she's in pain. And at that point, you're going to take your time away. And during that time away, you're going to practice self-compassion first. You're going to make a phone call to somebody you trust and you're going to flush out because you remember you, you now have all your own shame here still. You're going to flush out and speak that shame to somebody else you can trust that doesn't have to be her because she's not in a space to hold it right now. You're going to get some perspective and then you're going to reapproach your wife and you're going to just temperature check where she's at and let her know that you're thinking about her. Let her you know, know that you see her pain and whether or not you continue the discussion is a different story, but so, so in essence, you hang in there, you put your shame, you notice your shame, you use it as the catalyst to hang in there, show empathy, practice until you're about ready to break, time out, self-compassion, reach out to somebody else, get perspective, and then lean back in. And if you do that consistently over time, there's your repetitions. And over, and over time, you're going to develop a skill set. And Brandon said something. He said, you're going to help her build trust in you. You're going to help the relationship. But what he left out is that you're actually going to build confidence in yourself. You're going to actually start to like what you see in the mirror because yeah. you're going to know, hey, I'm developing new skills. I'm willing to step into something difficult. I know how to care for myself when I'm in shame. I know who to reach out to. And, and as you build confidence inside yourself, the energy you bring to your relationship will be more valuable than anything you could say. It's the energy that she's looking for. And remember, she's asked you in a lot of different ways I want you to be my person. Like, I need you. I want you. And she said that she said that for how many years now in, in so many ways, she wants you years. to be her person. So why don't you just agree with her? Yeah. 
Here, Tyler, can I throw a wrench here, Dave? You won't do all the things Tyler said because what Tyler said is spot on. You won't do it if you have some massive secret behind the scenes. Like you, you won't go there. You won't want to. You won't. It, it, that'll push you and keep you in an arm's length no matter what. So the first thing we gotta kind of rewind here. The first thing is clean up the mess. Like get honest, get it out there, get on the surface, get things in the light, right? And then you do what Tyler Tyler just described. What are you thinking and feeling right now, Dave? Over and over again. Um. Let me just try to process this. <laughs> so Brandon said that, you know, that I can't, I can't, I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to do all those things if there's a massive secret. So I think we're good there. Um, so good. It, this has been really good. So I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking is these are the tools that I've been looking for and I haven't had. Um, that, that formula, that recipe that Tyler shared is is really what i i've needed to hear and and it's and you both of you reaffirming that she said and and continues to say that she wants me to be her person and and be there for her um i'm a little emotional what's the emotion Um, there's some some tears welling up Mm -hmm. um just that (laughs) there's some shame there but it's more um now I, I I feel like I finally have a way uh, forward to, to yeah. really be there for her the way she needs and the way she's wanted. Um, yeah, so, this yeah. is a this is a call into this is a call into the manhood you were designed for, Dave. There's something inside of you. The reason you're having that emotion is because you know that you were designed to be that kind of a man for your wife. And this is not a shame thing. This is a call up. And, and Brandon and I are both calling you up, man. Like the world needs you to show up as Dave, not as the schmuck. That's always going to be making mistakes. (laughs) Did you stop calling him a schmuck? (laughs) All right, Dave, I got a challenge for you. And, um, I, by the way, I'd love to see it at our, our retreat in the fall, um, uh, up, up in Bear Lake. But, um, be, and the reason I say that is because at, at those retreats, you actually have experiences that are contrary to all of this shame. It's like, oh my gosh, like I, I did that. I'm what, I'm, how did I, I experienced something different, but here's my challenge for you. Um, if you do anything in your life, um, no matter how much money you make or don't make or how awesome your podcast is that you the produce. The Nerd Thread. Or, what's the name of that? Yeah. Oh, The Nerd Thread. Okay, check it out, guys. What, no matter what you do in your life, here's my challenge for you. Figure out how to love yourself. Whether you do hour upon hour of EMDR or you go down to Peru and do plant medicine or like, like your quest is not sobriety. Your quest is not knowing how to perfectly empathize with your wife. It's turning the tables on this narrative and saying and figuring out, I love myself. I've been through this process, Dave. I started my life with pure rejection of myself over and over and over again. And I can tell you that it's absolutely possible to not spend the rest of your life with this demon running the show, right? Um, but you got to be open to it and you got to be willing to, to actually experience something different. 
in order to let that demon go. So that's my challenge to you, Dave. Um, and, and if you need more resources or ideas or things that you can do to really step into that and to feel that, uh, Tyler and I are happy to share that with Thank you. Dave, thanks so much for being willing to come on the show. You asked a question that gets asked to us a hundred times a week and I know that the answer is more process oriented than maybe you or anyone else would like, but, but the principles we're talking about here are absolutely true. And uh, for those of you listening, if you found this valuable, please share it with someone who might benefit from it and start practicing those principles.